This is episode four of Yachting Yarns, our final chat with Bill Hatfield, who is a world record breaker. Twice, Bill attempted to complete a round-the-world sailing record. Then at the age of 81, he finally became the oldest man to sail around the world, unassisted, and he did it by going west into the trade winds. He failed in 2016 and 2018 on both occasions, being forced to stop about halfway. In 2019, he looked back on the first two trips and made major changes for his third and final attempt. One of the major things that had stopped me, and firstly, my rigging had failed, really shouldn't have. I got a few quotes. The only man who actually came with a quote, which was quite high, was a David Lamborn, who has a history of making extremely good rigging. He looked at my boat, he looked at me, and said, I will re-rig your boat such that the mast won't fall out. And that was the major thing that I did this time. I had a brand new rig. This rig, it was my The other ones were just sort of off the shelf or hold. So I had a brand new rig, had a brand new mainsail. I had new running sails. I had a new uh, autopilot drives. The boat was altogether a stage above what it was on the first trip. So I realised that had I got knocked down, I'd just bounce back up again. So I was supremely confident I could do this last trip. And I was extraordinarily lucky. Across the Great Australian Bight, no storms. Indian Ocean, no cyclones. Around Cape of Good Hope, lucky. No strong westerlies. A beautiful run up the South Atlantic. Slow, a bit annoying in the North Atlantic round, but otherwise okay. Reasonable run back through the doldrums and the storms that come there. Not a problem. Around Cape Horn, not a problem at all. Oh, I had a little bit of doing the right thing, but most of it luck. And uh, then coming across the Pacific in the cyclone season, not a problem. Missed uh, three cyclones. So just sheer luck. Uh, an excellent rig, uh, good sails, good autopilot, plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of backups. Uh, everything went right. Bill, it's a long way around the world. How long did it take you to complete the circumnavigation? I think it was 258 days, eight and a half months. That's a long time to be on your own with no company. Did you ever think you'd start talking to the fish? (laughs) No, no, no. It it was, um, you know, there were no uh, out-of-body experiences or, or revelations or anything else like that. What would a normal day look like for you while at sea? Probably uh, staying up late and uh, keeping an eye on things, especially around the shipping channels, and sleeping a lot, uh, doing nothing uh, during the day. Always keeping an eye on the sails, but often you'd go for days or weeks without touching the sail. Sometimes you'd have to change the sail two or three times in a day. I had excellent weather programs which would show you everything you want to know in colour over the satellite. And uh, you could say, all right, there is a strong wind coming, but it won't arrive until eight o'clock in the morning. So I'll sleep in till six with all the sails up and then I'll uh, have time to put the sails down or reduce sail area when that comes. So a lot of time spent on looking at the weather, which was pretty good. I know there would have been limited facilities on your boat for you to exercise. So how did you manage to keep fit all that time? You know, I was very keen on rowing as a lad. And uh, in 1990, I hadn't been in a boat for 25 years. And so I got back into that and got very fit. I'd been veteran rowing. So I was very fit when I left and did absolutely nothing in that eight months. Did you see anybody at all during the eight months? Did you pass any other sailors? 
No, no. Um, now I saw no human being in eight and a half months. No, not at all. And at no time did you think you might just go a little stir crazy? <laughs> As they say. No, no, not at all. No, because I, I, I did a blog every day and that made me think a little bit. Some of them were a bit, oh, no, they were always polite, but a little bit wandering and meandering. I can see how that solitude would give you a long time to ponder life's important questions. Right. I actually went past Atoll that the French blew up. Morau is the name of the Atoll. I, I didn't see it. Could have seen it, except I think they blew all the palm trees out. I went past those Atolls and I uh, thought about what they did, and the French blowing up an Atoll and making it uninhabitable forever. And I thought, well, now that's awful. But then I thought of French history, you know, Sudan, where the Prussians came in and wiped them out. And I thought of the horrors of, of Nazi Germany, where they wiped out the Jewish population. And I said, yeah, it's not nice to have a, an atoll that's blown up, but then it's not nice to have Russia or someone take you over. If you've got a, a tested atomic bomb which you can demonstrate to the world that you have, people are going to think twice about starting anything. That was my thoughts about seeing Murarar and it's you know, I thought the philosophy of it uh, a little bit. At what stage of this attempt this third attempt, did you just know this time you were going to make it? I'd rounded the horn in, in reasonable conditions. Then after I'd uh, rounded the horn, weather socked in. Whereas I could see mountains and glaciers and snow from 50 or 60 miles away for a few days, for the next fortnight or more, it clagged in. There was no visibility at all. Maybe a mile, maybe two miles, which you should be able to see these mountains from 70 miles away. I had a very low-scale, poor sort of chart, and I'm heading into a northwesterly or northerly the tacks were favorable to an onshore tack so here's me I'd be sort of half looking out and seeing breaks where there are any rough indications of rocks and saying well can I go through the night like this or should I turn around and I did push it a little bit so that was a little bit interesting trying to get up north as quick as I could before the next low pressure system came in with storms which often are blowing over 50 knots. Pushed it a little bit. At one stage I had to dodge a, a group of rocks which weren't very well charted. I thought this is, you know, this would be good to get out of this. And of course I did. Once I'd done that, it then became plain sailing. Once I got up above about Puerto Mont, which is I think about 40 degrees south. It was just a case of dodging a few things. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Robinson Crusoe Island again. The wind didn't allow it. I would have liked to see Pitcairn Island again. At one stage I was going to go past it, but I couldn't see it. The winds were slightly different. I would check my charts, my electronic charts, and it would show rocks right in the middle of nowhere. Existence doubtful. So I'd get my paper charts and I'd see last reported 1860. So I knew if I didn't go over them, I wouldn't hit them, even though they weren't there, right? So all I had to do was play a little bit cautiously. So I knew once the time I got up out of that tricky onshore possible 50 knots, anything over 50 knots in a yacht is a little bit tricky. Things can happen. You can get rolled quite easily. But once I'd done that, it was just a case of reasonable lookout. You told me earlier you attribute much of the success of this trip to the weather programs you used. There are quite a few programs you can get on the weather and each one gives a different track. But I picked on one which I had seen and followed through with the Bureau of Meteorology and they gave it a track. My program gave it a track that actually happened. Quite different. It 
mine circled back at the Bureau of Meteorology. They picked another program which had it going down to the southeast. So it circled back and faded, as mine did. And then I had these three cyclones, one after the other, over a period of a month or two. And I said, all right, I'm going to look at that one. And looking at the forecast, uh, firstly from the Fiji Bureau of Meteorology, they would give you a long rundown of where they thought the cyclone would come. And uh, then the New Zealand, and later on the Australian Bureau, by putting my faith in one program that I I had and, and they actually worked. I didn't have to do anything. Uh, I just sailed along and they went by as my program predicted they would. Had they gone perhaps to another program they would have come and hit me. So I was lucky that I had a certain amount of faith in those and I don't know what I would have done. When the cyclone pretty likely to affect me, I will make up my mind then. But I just went along in, in sort of blissful ignorance. Uh, you know, how, how sure I when did I know I was going to get back? I, I didn't actually think about it. I thought the best thing to do is to go as fast as I can, get back to Australia. I was going pretty fast. I've always had plenty of sail up and uh, I never reduced sail for the sake of it. So these things I considered, I didn't consider that it would ever stop me uh, being a bit of an optimist. In February 2020, you finally did it. And after all that time away, how did you feel when you finally sailed into the Southport Yacht Club? I, I have to say this. Sometimes when it got boring, uh, or wet or cold or tedious diet or something like that. I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be lovely to come in to the yacht club to have people on the on the spit or on, on the waterway cheering me on. I thought, wouldn't that be lovely? And it was all of those things and, and then some. Did I appreciate it? Absolutely, yeah. I had my daughter, my grandson, I had friends, I had friends from the gliding club and uh, yeah, it was a wonderful welcome. Uh, it was uh, given a little uh, laudatory letter from the uh, local member for uh, the Gold Coast, lovely lady. I had the television there, uh, they broadcast, people so they say, yeah, that was a great thing. And yeah, as I say, getting over the, the tedious, the boredom, uh, often I thought, well, wouldn't that be nice? And it was all of those things. Do you still have that record-breaking boat? Where is it now? Same place where I left at Scarborough. I had a bit of fun. Uh, I was. I came in. A bloke said, "I give you a hand." I said, oh, "I'm well, all right. I, I could have done it myself." Yeah, yeah. Here's the wine, you know. He looked at the boat and said, a "Bit grubby, isn't it?" I said, "Yeah, just a bit." He said, "Where have you come from?" I said, "Here." <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I want to thank you for sharing your many seagoing stories with us, and also congratulate you on a remarkable achievement. It really was a case of third time lucky. Well done. And don't forget out there, you can see Bill's photographs on the Yachting Yarns Facebook page. This is Linda Woods. Thank you for listening to Yachting Yarns. 